talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FYI, there's nothing wrong. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Eretos Podcast. I am your host, Moses Sorry, and with me to my left is Archie. Back again for the fucking dead, y'all. And with me to my right is my brother, Josh. I don't know what was in that beer, but uh, keep the energy. Yeah, so what beer are you guys drinking? Uh, today's sponsorship is by Citrus Rescue. Now, fuck that. It's, they ain't giving a shit. It's a citrus. I, you know what? <laughs> One can hope. No, 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 no. One can hope. Hey, hey, hey. Brew, brew companies out there since fucking fuck a lot of new. Wait, what? Because that's what? Remember I sent them the yeah. sponsorship? Fuck them. Oh. Fuck them. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're, they're already going under with a bunch of fucking shit that supposedly they have in, in, their, in their drinks that people are like, no, 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 you don't have that. So. All right. <laughs> okay. So beer companies out there sponsor us. You know what? That's you guys are our fuel for our podcast. So anyone out there, I fucks with Citrus Rescue. I fucks with it. Try it out. It's, do you Belgium <laughs> Citrus yeah, yeah, beers. Rescue? Please sponsor us. <laughs> beers, just beer. We don't need any beer except not you, Citrus. You're not that good. Anyway, so today, it's not that bad. Um, if you guys uh, listened to last week's episode, you guys know what exactly what today's topic is going to be about. Beer. And if you... It's going to be beer. It's going to be beer. We're going to talk about the difference between IPAs, <clears throat> pale ales, and domestic d- domestic beer. No, but if you guys uh, if you guys are aware, today we're going to be talking about famous pictures taken throughout history. Yeah, especially right now with fucking Instagram, dude. Just social media, you just see a bunch of pictures everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So some of the pictures that we're going to be talking about, you can you can see on our Instagram, Weird History, it retells pod. And most of these pictures have their own legends that people just made up, just be, just because of the fucking picture. Like for example, yep. last week's episode, when I when I um or where I read that creepypasta called the Expressionless, and it's a fucking scary story that spawned from a picture of just two nurse students handling a mannequin dummy. You, you know, know what? I, I thought that's what it was, too, from that creepypasta story. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be a... Well, in the creepypasta, it's like it's a, man, it's it's a half-human yeah, yeah, mannequin yeah. thing, whatever. Yeah. But, like, that's what we're that's talking about. To do with that. Some of these stories have... I mean, some of these pictures have stories that have nothing to do with it. It's just people have made up and just passed it along. Yep, yep. So some of these pictures you may have seen, and today you're going to learn about what they are truly about. Starting off with the Green Man. <gasps> Dead Dead. So if you grew up in Pennsylvania, chances are you have heard the legend of the Green Man. The man with no face who haunts the remote back streets at night. But what you might not know is that the Green Man, also known as Charlie No-Face, was a real person. Oh shit. A man named Raymond Robinson. So the legend of Charlie No-Face spread among children of 1960s Pennsylvania like wildfire. Otherwise known as the Green Man, this faceless figure was said to roam the roadways at night and glow green as a result of an industrial accident. 
While the legend was eerie enough, the truth was far scarier and all more tragic. So the story begins with eight-year-old Raven Robinson, who in 1919 accidentally shocked himself with 11,000 volts of electricity. Holy shit. Causing his face to explode. He survived despite sustaining disfiguring injuries to his face and arms, then became a hermit by day to avoid ridicule over his appearance. So a different version of the legend of the green man claimed that he also glowed green because he was struck by lightning and that he would haunt South Park, the North Hills, and the country lanes around Washington, Pennsylvania. The legend goes that he would roam late at night and chase anyone he would see. Sadly enough, it's just that last part about him chasing or scaring people that is the only part of the legend that isn't accurate. Everything else, 100% <coughs> Yeah. So like I mentioned, back in 1919 when Raymond was 8 years old, he was reaching for a bird's nest at the top end of an electrical pole when he was suddenly shocked by 11,000 volts of electricity and was sent flying with burns to his face and arms and leaving holes where his eyes and nose once were. Oh shit, even his nose exploded? He just popped. Reports at the time said that he was still in good spirit and he could still hear and talk. But for the next 65 years, he kept to himself, making belts, wallets, and doormats selling to generate some sort of income. So here, I'm gonna post this on Instagram, here's a personal photo of Raymond Robinson. Oh, that's actually him? That's actually him. He legit cannot see And that image anything. behind you, that's... That's him, too. That's, a, that's, that's a, an actual photo of him? That's an actual... Older? Yeah. Damn. So, Richard would only leave his house on walks in the dead of night to avoid scaring people with his appearance. Look, I, I don't blame him. I understand. I don't blame him. Look, I understand the logic. But isn't that worse? You don't want to scare people, so you're going to go out at night? Wait. You know what, True? Cause he, he he's afraid of oh he's a okay scary. I miss her yeah. I miss her he's afraid yeah, of so scaring he, people so he goes out he goes out Wait, at night but hold on yeah because I don't see fucking eyeballs or anything he's blind so he goes out <clears> long <throat> walks that's the only time he leaves his house okay he 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 so he lives he still lives in the same house with his parents so he mm -hmm. knows where everything still is oh okay you know some people still know who he is right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But still, like. So for those who know him, they're like, all right, it's just, it's just. Hey, yo, no face. It's just Charlie. No, it's up? Charlie. You know what I mean? Hey, what up, Charlie? Hey, Charlie. But isn't that kind of counterintuitive? You're like, I don't want to scare anybody. So let me go out in the dead of night yeah. and yeah, walk the streets. He's scaring last people, I but guess. But you know what? If you're coming out at night and you know about Charlie, that's on you. But what if you don't? What if you just moved in? That's on you, too. Shit. Anyways. <laughs> so it was during these walks that the legend of the green man started. When local kids would see Richard walking late at night. Imagine you're fucking 11 years old, coming back from a quinceanera, you're tired as shit, you just wanna get home, and then suddenly you're at a red light, or you're just driving, and you just see this dude with no face in the middle of the street. I'd be like a Mustang. So the name green man, some say, came from the lights reflecting off of his flannels when people oh, would pass him okay. at night. While some people were frightful and cruel to him, others made friends with him 
and they would bring him beers and cigarettes for his night walks. Yeah, that's what's up. So sometimes he would just walk yeah. around, you know, and people would just meet him up at certain points. Like, yeah. hey, dude, what's up? And they gave him, you know, because yeah. he was, remember, he was eight years old when this happened. When and that happened? What, he was eight years old. Fuck. So I guess he stayed at, you know, like he, like when it comes to his personality and the way he handles with people, I don't think he, I think he, from eight years old, he just stayed indoors. Yeah. So I guess he might still act like a little kid. You know what I mean? Like he's still a little regressive, I think. Because he, he remember, didn't, he didn't go whole... to high school. He didn't go to school. Yeah. He didn't. He's never had a job. He's never gone out. He's always stayed inside since he was eight years old. So I'm <clears> assuming <throat> he his his he's not as his mature as, he, as yeah. Like you know that. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he's probably he's probably just a big kid. You know what I mean? Still. Mm-hmm. So as he's walking, whatever. There's you know he, I guess he has like a little route he would take walk. You know, just just tired of being home. Just, you know, he walks around the park or something and then goes back home. And people will befriend him and they'll wait for him at certain spots. He'd show up here and, oh, you know, drink a little IPA. He'd hey, y'all, Charlie, take a swig. Yeah, and take a swig. Yeah, and there's Charlie with some of his friends late at night. Or they'll just meet him at a certain spot. Dude, for a second. And they're just chilling. Damn. For a second, I thought like three of them had no face. I'm like, yeah. oh, shit. I mean, these pictures were taken like in the 1970s, you know, early, late 70s. So some of these pictures are a little blurry. Pete Pavlovich, a local man during an interview in 1998, said that he was friends with Richard and he would go out and meet him and give him beer. He was one of those people that he's like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. Richard should be walking by and take a little six pack of Lagunitas, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, just chill in the corner. See Richard walking by three for me, three for him. We'll just chill, shoot the shit. And, you know, Richard would just drink his beer and then, you know, just yeah. take off. But he, al- and he also said that many people would meet up at the restaurant he would work at before heading out to try and spot him. So there were a bunch of people from out of town, like they hear about the legend. Oh, on Tuesdays, if you you know, if you go down this road at one o'clock in the morning, you'll be able to see the man with no face. Find no face, Yeah, bro. so people will show up at this dude's restaurant at like 12, 1230, they'll eat, getting ready, like, oh, it's almost one. And then they'll just go out and spot him, spot Richard. He also said that the people who didn't know about Richard, they were often scared shitless and would call the police. Maybe people from out of town or some people just yeah. crossing through. And you're just walking. You're like, what the fuck? This dude with no face. So they call the cops and the cops are like, yes, don't worry about him. We know it's just Richard. Leave him alone. He's not going to do any harm. And imagine the people's reactions to this. What do you mean? Well, a lot of this them were, has a name. Well, a lot of them were shocked at first. Yeah. What the fuck? But then after learning more about him, they just would usually just go back looking for him. They're like, wait, what the fuck? And they'll just go back and just befriend him or whatever. And then, like always, there's always going to be dickheads, no matter who you are, what oh, you're going to yeah. be. Yeah. So some dickheads would offer Richard a ride, and they would drop him <laughs> They would drop him off at a location Richard didn't know as a crude joke to Richard being blind. That's fucked up, bro. That's fucked That's a new low, bro. Hell of a nice guy, said Phil Ortega, a native and schoolmate of Robinson's sister. Ortega remembered bringing his date to see Robinson and would bring him Lucky Strike cigarettes. You know, so him and his girlfriend would just go and chill with Richard, whatever. But little more is known about Robinson's life, other than he lived a fairly solitary existence. He never really went out. If he did go out, it was just for a little long walk, you know, beer here, cigarette there. And that's pretty much it. Rabin passed away in 1985 at the age of 74. Damn, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, Richard. From natural causes. But though he may be gone, the legend of the green man, Charlie No-Face, 
is as alive today as ever. So we've all heard the saying, it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all, right? Yep. Okay. But I bet if you quoted that to Blanche Monnier, she'd tell you to fuck right off with love. Because in her case, the main thing she lost was 25 fucking years of her life. Uh, well, sounds like fair trade. So for those, go to our Instagram, Weird History, you tell Spod, and you'll be able to see who I'm talking about. So back in the late 1800s, if you were all, if you were a well-off socialite, loving the wrong man was serious business that could literally ruin you. So in comes Blotch. The year is 1876. She's in Paris. She's a 25-year-old child of money looking for love before it's too late. And luckily for her, or unluckily, as we're soon to find out, she found love in an older, broke lawyer who her mother hated. Blanche was set to marry this man, and then poof, she just vanished. Nobody in France saw her in public again. Her mother, and bro- her mother and brother mourned her in public, but then went on with their daily lives and eventually so did everyone around them. But behind the scenes, the mother and brother were hiding a vile secret. Oh, it's the mother and the brother. Damn. Then one day in 1901, 25 years later, the Attorney General of Paris receives a strange letter declaring that a prominent aristocratic family in the city was keeping a foul secret. The letter was handwritten and unsigned, but the attorney general wasted no time in investigating the matter from how disturbed the letter left him. So off he and the police went, and at first, things seemed perfect at the Monnier estate. Everything was as spotless as the reputation. Madame Monnier was known in Paris for charitable work and had even received countless community awards, awards for her generosity and her son who was a nerd when it came to all things school, he was now a respectable lawyer. They also had a daughter, but she hadn't been seen in almost 25 years. She was described as very gentle and good-natured, but she just disappeared and fled the country during the prime of youth, according to some stories. The attorney general and the police, they didn't give much thought to this story, and as their search of the estate concluded, nothing was out of the ordinary. That is until they noticed a foul stench coming from Downey Hall. They followed the putridity to one of the upstairs bedrooms, but it was padlocked shut. So the attorney attorney general, feeling something was off, said fuck a warrant and smashed the lock and broke into the room, unprepared for the horror that lay within. The room was pitch black. Its only window had been shuttered closed and hidden behind thick curtains. The stench in the dark chamber was so overwhelming that one of the officers immediately ordered the window to be broken open. 
as the sunlight streamed in. The policemen saw that the horrendous order the horrendous order was due to the rotting scraps of food that littered the floor surrounding a decrepit bed to which an emaciated woman was chained to. When the cops broke the window, that was the first time Blanche had seen the sun in over 20 years. Bro. Dang! She was kept completely naked and chained to her bed since her mysterious disappearance back in 1876. Fuck. Unable to get up and use the restroom, now the middle-aged Blanche was covered in her filth and surrounded by the rats and roaches that had been lured by the scraps and smell. The cops were so unprepared and overwhelmed by the stench of the room that they were only able to stay inside the room for a few seconds at a time. Blanche had been festering in this hellhole for over 25 years. Fuck. She was immediately taken to the hospital with her mother and brother arrested. Hell yeah. The hospital staff reported that even though she was, and I quote, this is a direct quote from the hospital staff. These are professionals, and this is what they said. About this shit. She was horrendously malnourished. She weighed a little more than 50 pounds when she was rescued. Shit. She was still lucid. Hadn't gone crazy or was delirious. And she remarked how lovely it was to breathe fresh air again. Oh my god. And this is when her story began to spread. A New York Times article in 1901 reported the story here in the United States. Remember, this happened in Paris. Uh-huh. This is in 1901 and the New York Times is fucking covering it. So the headline read, the headline read, she imprisoned her daughter. Girl kept in dungeon 25 years because she was true to her sweetheart. So it turned out that Blanche had found love all along. But because of her mother's disdain towards him, her daughter's lover, and Blanche's refusal to marry a young rich aristocrat, Madame Monnier locked Blanche in a padlocked room until she changed her mind. She's like, I'm going to keep you in here until you fucking tell me you're not going to marry this old fuck. And she's like, no, he's mine forever. Years, 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 excuse me, what did you say? She was digmatized? Is that what you're saying, bro? She she was was digmatized? Digmatized. Well, I mean, Capital Dick. The years came and went. Capital Dick. And Blanche nice. didn't relent. She was still in love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt. Even it's after the thing. man she loved died. Even she was after. Still, she's like, nope. Man's I'm, died. Still my man's. Still my man's. She was still kept locked in her cell with only rats and lice for company. So for the next 25 years. Neither her brother or any one of the family servants lifted a finger to try and help Blanche out because, as they claim, they were too afraid of Madame Monnier to risk it. To this day, nobody knows who wrote the letter to the Attorney General that led to Blanche's rescue. Rumor has it, though, that one of the family servants got a little too comfortable with a new boyfriend and let it slip. And it was this man that was like, what the fuck did you just say? And said, fuck all this, and skipped the police, and went straight to the attorney general. Hell yeah. He's like, what the fuck? So almost immediately after Blanche's rescue, public outrage was at a fucking 10. 
and an angry mob formed outside of the estate. Oh, yeah. The mob was so big and furious that Madame Monnier, she suffered a fucking heart attack because of it. Oh, my God. She died two weeks later while in prison. <laughs> so fuck her. Uh, man. Blanche's brother stood trial for helping his mother, and he was initially given two years, but was then later acquitted on claims that technically, technically, Blanche, she could have just left anytime she wanted if she just said she wasn't going to marry the old bloke lawyer. So that she could have left at any time. She just didn't say what she needed to say. So we, the, so the hold her captive. So the court's like, no, yeah, you're right. She could have. You're right. You're right. And he left. And he, he was no, he was acquitted. really. Yeah. Damn. Blanche Manier, she suffered some lasting psychological damage after her decades-long imprisonment. But she lived out the rest of her days in a French sanitarium, dying in 1913. Now, not all pictures have an extended background story. The okay. picture itself is pretty fucking gruesome and will sometimes make you cry of tears. And this picture is known as Human Dolls of Anatoly Moshkin. So Anatoly Moshkin is a Russian former journalist, college professor, and a self-dubbed necropolis with expert knowledge of cemeteries. Can we guess where we're going with this? Yes. You think I, so? I know who this fuck is. He has a lot of knowledge of cemeteries. He's fucking dead bodies. <laughs> dead bodies supposed to be more than just fucking. But for years, his quote-unquote hobby of collecting dolls had a very macabre obsession that drew upon his particular interest, which, we could guess, is digging up the dead and making them dolls out of their corpse. So this guy Damn. will go into cemeteries, fucking dig up bodies, and make dolls. Out of their bodies? Out of their corpses. And guess what he did with these dolls? Can we take a guess? He played with them. He played with them? Yeah. Give them away? Fucking tea now, party. Now do you think he, he kept them in his house? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yes. He had he a did. tea party with them. Pretty much. He did. Really? Yeah. So after making his human dolls, he kept yeah. every single one of them at his home as companions. Okay? As roommates. And Her lovers. Roommates. Oh, and lovers? And lovers. What? This dude's gross. Fucking Moshkin wrote on one of his notes, and this is what he said. He said, I kissed her once, then again, and again, about, right? So this letter was about one of his dolls made from a body of an 11-year-old girl. And who was he writing his letters to? Just journal. You know how oh, crazy journal, fucks. Journal entries. Yeah, journal entries. Yeah, he was, so when we were doing the count, um, I keep forgetting his fucking name, the dude who fucked um, the chick after she died. What's his name? Sig no, oh, Sigmund Freud. Count, count Coswell. I forgot his fucking name. Uh-huh. I was gonna. It was gonna. I was debating on, on him. On doing him too, because like, oh, it's kind of similar. 
I just didn't end up doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he's he's one of those topics that I want to cover. But yeah, anyways, go on. And it wasn't until 2011 where Moshkin, after years of increasing suspicion at the growing number of all the shit that he'll be doing at cemeteries, uh, he was finally arrested. When he searched his home, they found... Guess how many bodies he found? Oh, Bodies? These, yeah. Well, these skin... These these dolls that he'll create. Converted dolls. Yeah. These quote-unquote companions and like lovers. 10, 15? No. 10, 15? I want to say like... 30-ish, 40-ish. A little bit too high, but but yeah, 26. 26 life-size dolls. Oh, they were life-size. Life-size. So how would you make them dolls? Life-size. What's the difference? How do you make make a corpse a doll? Well, Well, I mean, I guess they mummified it. Yeah, I mean, the bodies are all freaking decomposing and shit. So they probably, like, smooth out the skin, add a makeup, maybe. Kind of like his. I, I wonder if... Did he kill any of these girls? No. Determined to do? No. No, he would just <clears throat> desecrate their graves and create dolls out of them. Yeah. Just a grave digger. Mm-hmm. He's one of them that's like, but it's not that bad. It's not like I killed them. Right. They're already dead. What the <laughs> fuck? And bro, what the f- basically, I'm just recycling. That's all I'm doing. And up next, we have a photo titled as four children for sale. Four as in number four. And this one is all fucked up. This picture shows you of how bad these little kids must have must fucking have been. been. These little shits. <laughs> it's Man, the kids' fault. The reason why people don't want to have kids, huh? Not just one, not two, not three, but four. All, I want all the God. Nah. Highest bidder now. Nah, Bogo. <laughs> Bogo. Today, today's a Bogo, Bogo deal. <laughs> I won't get one. Get one Y'all stop now. That's. Uh, Dang, y'all fucked up. This, this, y'all, this is going to be some anchor blue vibes, right? Real quick. Those closing down. Fucking Labor Day sale. It's fucked up. We're all going to go to hell. Why? I'm not selling the kids. I ain't buying them. <laughs> You're buying the kids? I ain't buying them. Yeah, you promoting it, though. Well. You're going to see the picture in our IG, and this haunting photo from the 1948 reveals just how much poverty can destroy a family. Okay, both to the side. This, this was around, this was past World War One. This well, What year was that? I think this was 1948, so towards so, the ending. So it's post-World War Two. Yeah. So, Mr. and Mrs. Ray Chalifo, um, they were facing eviction. In Chicago, and they were desperate for money. Now, so, so they literally so, said, "Fuck them kids." Yeah, that's that's what we see. The main angle, right? We'll be like, "Oh, these fuckers just want money because you know." Or, right? Let's say they can't afford to feed them kids, right? And they're like, "Hey, maybe we should give them off to another family that might better be off," right? That's the other angle, which I'm pretty sure no one's gonna believe. Nah. Uh, yeah. Because they put a price on their kids' heads. True. They're like, if I'm giving these kids away, I better get make a buck off of this shit. So, at desperate times, they opted out. They opted to uh, sell their four children. Damn. And some of their members stated that, oh, no, this was just... Uh, a staged picture. Yeah, staged pick. They really didn't sell the kids. 
But um, there are sources that within two years, those four kids were actually sold. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, but I heard that it went to, like, child services, and then the, the four of the kids ended up being adopted or being kept yeah. together somehow. So they were... I don't know if they were adopted. But, yeah, so they were given to another family. But these other sources state that these kids were abused by these new families as well. Oh, so shit. it wasn't really a happy ending at all um, behind this picture or what the picture represents. So there's no happy ending for this. They all stay. And then we have the image of Michael Rockefeller. Death by... Shnushnu? No. <laughs> Death by cannibalism. Allegedly. Here's why. So, who is Michael Rockefeller? Well, he's the son of he was son of a New York governor. And he disappeared somewhere in the Papua New Guinea in the early 1960s. Now you may ask, what the fuck was he doing way the fuck out there at this fucking uncharted island off of Australia. Yeah, what is this fool right, doing? What the fuck is he doing? What are you doing? Who is this guy? Well, here's the reason. Michael Rockefeller had a passion for traveling to faraway places and experiencing the unexplored and the untouched. He had what they quote unquote call wanderlust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, this desire for adventure took Rockefeller to the remote reaches of Papua New Guinea. In 1961 and this is where the Azimat people or the tribe who lived in Dutch New Guinea as a, as the massive island off the coast of Australia was then called had severely limited contact with the outside world now Rockefeller found the uncharted territory he was looking for when he arrived there that's that's what he was going for but he was tragically unaware of what he was in for. He had no idea how they were going to react. I'm assuming he he's done this before. So to certain yeah. tribes that were known, right? But this is uncharted. He didn't know this tribe. And well, no Wi-Fi, no, <laughs> no Wi-Fi, no toilet paper, none of it. So he and the Dutch anthropologist Rene arrived in the area by boat. On November 19th, 1961, although they were a long 12 miles from the shore, Rockefeller reportedly told Wasim, or Rene, I think I can make it. He jumped into the water and headed for land, but was never seen again by the Dutch. 12 miles swimming? Hmm? Hey, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. He didn't have to do it. He was on a boat. Well, they didn't want to get too close. Why? Well, don't know. Well, they could have gotten a mile close. <laughs> <laughs> a mile was still far. Uh, that's funny. And because he was a member of a very American, uh, rich American dynasty, um, the disappearance was a big thing. Uh, and the disappearance prompted a massive search. I mean, I'm, we're talking about ships, airplanes, helicopters. That combed the whole region. Found for Atlantis. That's not what the fuck we're looking for. We're looking for my goddamn son. 
Jesus. Every time he talks, money's coming out of his pocket. He coins hit the floor. That's <laughs> how rich the fucking Rockefellers are. Yeah, so they were just searching the region for any sign of life of Michael. They found nothing. So, like I stated, the Dutch, that's the last time he's seen Michael, right? Jumping off. Boom. But then there's an image that was found. And in this image, he was in the middle of a tribe, I guess, smiling, right? Mm -hmm. He's smiling in this image, and everyone's running around as if they're doing uh, chanting or singing Like song. a ritual. Like a ritual. And I'm assuming he had no idea who these people were at the time. And surely enough, um, at first, Rockefeller's official cause of death was initially as listed as drowning. But the Dutch interior minister said after a nighting search that Michael's official cause of death was initially listed as drowning. However... The National Geographic reporter Carl Hoffman offered a far more disturbing thesis in his 2014 book, Savage Harvest, A Tale of Cannibals, and Michael Rockefeller's Tragic Quest for Primitive Art. And that's where that image arrived, surfaced. And in that surface, in that image, like I stated, was Michael himself in the middle of a chanting tribe, which they later on concluded that this tribe was known for cannibalism. cannibalism. There's also another picture that they found, I think, a few years later after his quote-unquote disappearance in 1961, where it's literally this white man who's literally butt naked and he's holding a spear and he's with the tribe, like they're running around. He's one with the tribe. He's one with the tribe. And they're saying, first of all, this dude's white and he has a beard. Uh The Asmat people don't have facial hair. So he's clearly an outsider. And he looks like the Rockefeller kid. And the Rock... And uh, what was his name? Michael? Mm-hmm. And Michael, his whole thing, his whole... Everyone who knew Michael, all he wanted to do was leave that life behind. He's like, I don't want to live the life that I'm living. I just want to be free and wild. I just want to be one with nature. And that's what he was looking for. He was looking for his home away from home. And people are saying that's what he found. And I guess one way or another, maybe that's pictures that they found. Because supposedly they found it in a warehouse... I don't know what fucking warehouse these motherfuckers are looking in. They're finding pictures of fucking billionaire kids running around naked. And, hey, for real. You know what I mean? But they found this fucking picture of, of Michael Rockefeller, one with the tribe. And I, some people are saying, like, they found him. He's like, nope, I'm done. I don't want to go back and fuck off. And they, they left him to me. Damn. So that's another one. So, like, no one knows what happened. There's two different. Either he got ate by a shark or drowned, or he got ate by the people, or he became one of the people. So the paranormal has always been something that has fascinated me. I mean, how can you really explain the unexplainable? The interesting thing about the paranormal is that it's difficult to make yourself sound believable unless you were there in that very moment you experienced it. So thanks to our handy devices here like cell phones or cameras, we are now able to capture these experiences for others to question their own reality. Now, the first photo I want to talk about 
is of a suspected UFO sighting that occurred in Salem, Massachusetts on July 16th of 1952. Just before 10 a.m., the U.S. Coast Guard photographer Shell R. Alpert noticed four large spherical lights hovering in a quote-unquote V formation right outside this, his photo lab. He grabbed his accordion-style press camera and began shooting away. Shell stated that, quote, I was sitting in the photo office filling negatives with my back towards the window and I turned slightly into the direction of the window and noticed something bright outside. I observed the sky and saw what appeared to be several bright, almost brilliant lights slight, slightly on the starboard side of the power plant smokestacks. The press got a hold of the photo and it sent fear through the entire U.S. At that time, everyone was talking about this photo and what exactly was in the sky in Salem. The U.S. Air Force then came in to prove its authenticity. A General John A. Samford even held a press conference at the Pentagon on July 29, 1952 concerning this event as well as other UFO sightings that occurred just a week after Salem in Washington, D.C. The main point that was taken from the press conference is that the objects seemed to pose no danger and were probably just optical illusions created from the lights in the sky and slash or strange weather phenomena. When the photo was turned into Shell Superior, he was told to keep it under classified. He was then visited by Air Force officials, the CIA, and Harvard astrophysicists as well. When he was asked to recall the event, in all honesty, Shell simply believed it to be a strange phenomena caused by weather or car lights approaching the base. Till this day, the official statement determined the object in the sky to be quote-unquote unidentified and not have any conclusive evidence of what could explain the lights in the sky. Imagine the disrespect. You're like, bro, I saw these fucking lights. And someone's like, no, no, bro, those are car lights. Those are headlights. You You think I'm stupid? You didn't see those. I know what the fuck the difference between a UFO and these fucking headlights are. Yeah, I think when I was reading more about this, he was saying when he was talking to the the people, like the, the fucking Air Force officials, CIA, and Harvard Satchel Physicists, that it almost seemed like they're trying to force him to say a different statement. Yeah, they're trying to lead him. Yeah, yeah, like guide him. Like how you said, like, no, nah, that's not what you saw. You saw lights. No, no, or, no. You saw car lights. You, you the lights you, you saw, they look yeah, like yeah. Honda Civic car lights, right? Is that what we're gonna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, car, yeah, Honda Civic car lights. And the fucking interrogation was like hours long. Yeah, well, it takes a while to waterboard somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> It takes a while for the water to fucking dry out. Uh, what? Well, it's funny how the press somehow got hold of those images. Yeah, like, you're right. Because he was the one that took them, right? Yeah, he's the one that took them. And somehow he just. Well, he just I don't know. And there's unless an asshole from the press what? and just stormed that shit. And there was what? another photo Some, of photos? someone taking a picture of him holding the photo that he took, like fucking smiling, like oh shit, that was. Look what I found, guys. Yeah. Yo, I did not give them the picture. 
What they did is they took a picture of me holding the picture, and that's how they got it. <laughs> hey, that's a nice loophole. Hey, that is. That is. I'm going to think about that one now. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to use it, but that's <laughs> a nice loophole. It's kind of like what Marilyn Manson used to do, how he used to write fuck on his forehead because he didn't want people taking pictures of him. Like uh, oh, did, really? Yeah, like he didn't want people to, like, like um, for what's magazines it called? Yeah, for magazines. Like paparazzi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he'll he write fuck on his face or, or, or in somewhere because yeah. then you can't print it. That's true. And then if you try to Photoshop it, he could sue you for it because you're manipulating his image. That's true. Marilyn Manson is a pretty smart ass dude. Mm, I mean, well, slow, your, hold on, hold on, slow hold on. your roll, slow your roll, buddy. He, he, I mean, not to say that fucking celebrities are stupid as fuck, but especially like at the time where he was big, the the celebrities around him, like everyone just wanted to be on every fucking post and well, newspaper and magazine and I shit mean, like he, that. He wanted to do that too, except. He just he's in like, his own oh, way. Oh, this isn't what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Plus, because he was he was he was a piece of shit, and now we and now we know why. I don't know if you heard about all the allegations. No, no I haven't. He had like he used to rape women, he used to keep them in, in oh shit in rooms, tie them up, beat them. Really? What the fuck? Not. I mean. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I don't know everything. Speaking of, I don't know everything. I didn't know about this photo until I fucking looked it up. The fucking ghost boy of the Amityville house. I don't know how you did not know this photo existed until looking this up. Yeah, I did. That's so wild. Yeah. I'm sure when I bring up the city of Amityville, you probably think about the dozens of horror movies that came because of it. Or the murders that took place on 112th Ocean Avenue by Ronald DeFerro Jr., November of 1974 who took the lives of six of his family members or even the investigation of the paranormal activity duo Edward and Lorraine Warren while well, March of 1976 the Warrens were called in by George and Kathy Lutz who were the next owners of the home after the murder to investigate the paranormal activity that was occurring in their home the Lutz family claimed that there were odors throughout the house, strange sounds that would be heard, doors that would open and close on their own in the middle of the night, and that of Kathy Lutz that would be seen by her husband to be levitating right in front of her. Fuck. The Warrens arrived at the house and took pictures as they went. One particular photo sent chills down their spine and the photo looks like this was taken at the second floor of the house and was just across the banister where you can see what looks like a boy with glowing white eyes peeking out of a room looking at the direction of the camera the warrens assured that there was no one else in the house besides them when the photo was taken and upon further investigation the boy even resembles Nine-year-old John Matthew DeFell, who was killed by his older brother, Ronald DeFell Jr. And the Warrens had their fan base of believers and non-believers, of course. So I leave it up to you, listeners. Do you believe this photo to be the ghost of nine-year-old John Matthew DeFell? Or just an elaborate hoax 
made to be used as a promotional stunt for the Warrens. You decide. I don't know, but I found that part real funny. How the how they how they were talking about how they bought the house and suddenly just getting different scents. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine them just being like, "Honey, does this room smell like shit to you? <laughs> come here, babe. Come here. This room smells like shit. Taste the air. Taste the air. Yo, that's baby shit. It tastes like shit too. Yeah, I, dude, this pic that that picture, the one you're talking about. Yeah. I remember. I remember that from the. Oh my god! What the, f- what the fuck? What? It's that website, Rotten.com. There you go. Yeah. Yes, sir. I remember that picture from not from well from from those days, from the Rotten.com days. Was, I, I remember, yeah, not Rotten.com, but I remember from those those Rotten.com faces, those those days of faces dot yeah, faces dude. of death. Rotten. Like around com. that time, fucking the internet was so much, like so unfiltered, just everything was posted there. Like YouTube, then is not YouTube now. The, the the YouTube them videos are still there though. Yeah. Do you remember the first YouTube video you ever saw? Ah, fuck, I don't. I remember one of the few YouTube videos that I saw. Like fucking La, La Bruja de Monterrey. That was one of the videos I saw. From early YouTube. Yeah, that was one of them. Which, what's the first video you remember seeing? I'm trying to remember. I remember mine's. What's yours? Mine's was a, uh, a vulgar picture by the Black Dollar Mary. Oh, the song? No, the music video. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a vulgar picture. It was like 2005. I remember we were in practice, and my and my and one of my friends is watching a music video. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh shit, they're playing whatever." La la la, from a music video. He was, he, well, he was saying he was watching music videos. Uh-huh. I was like, "Oh, what the fuck, you're watching MTV on your computer?" Yeah, and he's like, "No, nah, it's this website called YouTube." I was like, "What, what is it? What the fuck is YouTube?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, "What the fuck is YouTube?" It's how fucking old I am. What the fuck is YouTube? Yeah. And then he was just like, oh, you know, it's, the video, it's just a fucking when you can watch videos. And I remember earlier that day. Well, not earlier that day, but uh, like that day. Well, anyways, I I can never watch the Vulgar Picture music video because you have to go to the Metal Blade website to watch the video. Right. But we used to have dial-up. So I needed to let them a fucking <laughs> video load up the whole day. But my mom was always on the phone, so I can never fucking. I, I would watch it <laughs> in, in like 11 second increments. I was like, oh, fuck it. Type in uh, the vulgar picture, the vulgar, a vulgar picture music video. And I watched it and I was like, yo, this, what, what, what? I, I, I distinctly remember taking out my sidekick, going to my notes section. I'm like, what, what, what website is this? Writing YouTube.com. Little did I know. And then AIM notifications would come out. Huh? Bing, bing, bing. The whole time. Bing. You got mail. And that was the first video. The vulgar picture. <clears throat> and then I remember I got my iPhone. A few, like maybe a year or two years after that, and I remember the old YouTube logo. Logo. Where it was just the old the TV. TV. I remember that shit. And I would always forget that was the YouTube thing. I only remember that only because I still have my iPod Touch. Oh, and it's still there. It's still there. I haven't updated it. Damn. Yeah. Fun times. Lastly, we have the spirit photography of William Mumbler who was an amateur photographer from the 19th century in Boston. So apparently around that time, there was a fad of like, it almost looked like ghostly photos. Yeah. And this guy, William Mumbler, was the pioneer of this whole shit. 
What year was this? It was in the 19th century. Yeah, it makes sense because remember during the late. Yeah. It was like the infancy of photography. Well, there's that, but there was. Remember, London, remember how in Europe there was that whole fad about taking pictures with your dead relatives or your yeah. kids? Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, and pictures was new, so people were like, oh, let's try to take a bunch of shit. Yeah. You know? And one of the most interesting photos that I found by this man was of a self-portrait of Mary Lincoln sitting in all black with a a white translucent figure that looks to be her deceased husband, Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Standing behind her, posed with his hands on her shoulders. These photos look like the rest of Willie Mumblers that kind of suspect that maybe they're fake. Mumler, however, insisted that his photos were proof that there was an afterlife where the families of deceased can finally have one last memory with their loved ones. But it's going to cost you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Since the photography was at its infancy at this point, no one would think otherwise that this was even a hoax. At the time of the Civil War, where many lives were lost during the war, he had the booming business with many clients asking for photos with their deceased loved ones, even going to the point of doing mail in order, stating, quote, send a short description of the spirit you hope to see yourself. And of course, seven dollars and fifty cents so that you can see the ghosts. End quote. The spiritualists at the time were pissed at him and many townspeople started to get suspicious of the authenticity of these photos. Then, so, investigators were sent to his studio to to try to debunk his trick and watch how he was able to include translucent figures into his photo. And when they couldn't figure it out, he was brought into trial and the prosecution came with nine possible methods and how Mumbler was able to do it. One by one, each method was conducted. And after every method was attempted, none even came remotely close to the spiritual photos of Mumbler. And so, Mumbler was acquainted from all his charges and was let go, being not guilty. Also, he was acquitted. You're like, hey, son, you are full of shit, and here's nine ways we can prove it. Damn, none of them worked. <laughs> yep. He was like, bet. Yep. And so there's a a, a video that I, that I saw. Oh, fuck. What's the name of the fucking series of this shit? But we talk about his specifically. And since he kind of got away with it, years later, they started finding out, okay, well, what are some of the ways that, that he could have possibly done it? So they said in nine methods. And this person who was like uh, ex- in the video who's an experienced photographer, especially in like cameras or from that time, he said he, the, pr- the reason why Mumbler was not convicted of, of these for being a hoax is because he didn't use just one individual method. Yeah. He had a combination of them. That's what they never tried. And so that's why he was scot-free. And like he tried one example of how he did it. So basically, long story short, 
the way that he did it is probably the method that that mumbler used which was the slowed the speed of the exposure so that yeah. way someone could easily walk in and then walk out right away and it looks like it's a faded image how, but how are you going to take a picture of Abe Lincoln? Could have got no head. Probably got a photo. One of his old photos. But what trips me out is the fact that this motherfucker was like, send me a short description of the spirit you hope to see. Versus like, send me a picture of your your deceased relative and I'll, and I'll see what I can do. If it was like that, I would be like, okay, that's the method he fucking used. Bro, because he needs a short description. Like, all right, he need his dude was six foot tall. He had a beard. He was kind of chip. I know a guy. I I'm know call a guy. Charlie real yeah. quick. I'm gonna call him Never, real quick. Charlie, do me, hey Charlie. Here's a penny. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Do me a favor, Charlie. Do me a favor. Just walk in and walk the fuck out. <laughs> here's a penny for your troubles. I'll get the fuck out. <laughs> you fat bastard, you. <laughs> That's how they talk in Boston. I don't know. Century. Yeah, that's a wild ass story. Yeah. That's his most famous one. But like he has a bunch of them. that are kind of like the same thing. It's like the main figure. And then like it just white translucent figure in the background doing something. I'm going to need to I'm I'm hit him up. For what? So I get a picture of, him, of me and Trevor. You already have uh, a picture of you and Trevor. I do have a picture. You're right. It's, it's fucking you're right. Actually, solid. I actually, I actually do. Set him the description. Solid picture. Yeah, you're right. Set him you're the right. description. Yeah. Set him seven fifty. The description. It's a simple description. King of all kings. Set. You don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, it's, it must those, be Trevor. For those of you that do not do that, for those of you that do not know what the fuck I am talking about, I am talking about the late singer of the Black Dahlia Murder, who is, if you guys know me. Is the band. There's no band that, you know, so it, I was heartbroken. I It's been months, and I maybe listened, and I've maybe listened to like two songs since his passing. Yeah. Just, I just can't listen to the Black Dominant right now, bro. I'm still not ready. No? So I'm still not ready. Too soon? It's too soon, bro. Too it's too soon. soon. It's too soon, that, which is why, and um, here's a little, a little fun fact for you guys. Uh, so you guys know I'm in a punk band called Jack and I, whatever, and we are releasing an album. And in that album, we have one of our singles. It's going to come out later on, maybe this year or early next year. Or it should, well, whatever. The song's called Charlie Activities. And in it, I have a solo. And in that solo, there's an homage to the Black Dollar Murder. If you guys could, once it comes out, you know, let's see if you guys notice what the homage is in that lead solo. And if you guys could get it, then um, I might give you guys something. But yeah, that's my, when I, I, I was, I had writer's block. I didn't know what the fuck to do. We were going to record like two days. When Trevor passed away, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And I remember just playing the song over and over again, and then I just ended up writing that that lead, and the ending came out. And I was like, "All right, I'm keeping it." And the ending was, it's the sort of monster black dollar murder. And if you listen to it now, they maybe because you have the track because Archie's, Archie's, you know, he was our original drummer, and I shared some of the tracks with him, and he's actually played a few shows for us, you know, a little, you know, because we we're playing shows. And yeah, I know, fucking lost my voice for you, fucking dickheads. I actually did. My my voice was so gone like first first two, three days of school. Everyone was like, Mr. E. Have you been sucking dicks, sir? <laughs> what have you been what have you been doing on the summer? I've seen the kids say How's your summer? Nah, like they're just like, What what's wrong? What's happening? I'm just like, I'm going through puberty again, guys. Yeah, like you're like, don't worry about it in your head, you know, I was fucking rocking out. <laughs> it was tight though, cause you came out, yeah. You you were you 
The only thing you need. All right. So we had a show a few weeks ago, and Archie, obviously, if you guys know already, he is he was the original drummer of the band, and um, we decided to do a cover, an AFI cover, a single second, and uh, our drummer couldn't really learn it in time, so we had Archie like, hey, do us a favor and fill in for us, and he said okay. So and then we're like, fuck you! If you're gonna fill in, might as well just play a few of the old songs that you recorded for us. Yeah. And so he played drums for. So he was gonna play drums for half of our set, and then for our newer songs, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it! Just let me learn the lyrics and let me do backup vocals for mm. you know because we have a few songs with guest vocalists. And he's like, fuck it! You did everything but play guitar that night. You sang and you played I, drums. I didn't play bass either. Or but same thing. <laughs> it's it's one of the same. Yeah, you fucking do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was a fun show though. Yeah, this, yeah, that this was, was a fun, fun. Yeah, it was a fun show. But yeah, um, you, you guys don't give a shit. The show, <laughs> the, episode, the, the funny episode's over, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys learned a little bit. Again, uh, go to our Instagram, Weird History. It was just pod to see all of these pictures. I promise we're gonna post these pictures up. All of them. All of them. We're, each post is gonna, you know, each person, each post is gonna be dedicated. We're gonna have three different posts. Each post dedicated to that person's. Uh, the pictures that we're talking about on today's episode. So thank you guys. Um, add us on Instagram. We're just to retail's pod. If you guys want to see all of these pictures, please rate and review us. And as always, guys, thank you. And we are the Weird History. It retail's pod. We're doing sucking dick. Mm-hmm.